0: Welcome to the Liberty Experts Podcast, where all your liberty questions are answered, discussed, and debated by experts. Now, here are your liberty experts, Tim Moen and David Birnbaum. All right, Liberty Expert Nation, a special treat for you today. This is where you, our listeners, get involved in the podcast. Uh, If you are uh, subscribe to us on subscribe star and you're a rainmaker. You make it rain on us. Uh, you get a, a, an opportunity to come on our podcast as a guest and talk to us about a, a subject that you're passionate about. So we have a rainmaker on today. We have Cedric Ramirez and Cedric wants to talk about talk with us about uh, a subject that I really love, which is uh, secession, uh, the right to secede to to leave. Uh, your country to break off from your country uh, or your nation and and go your own way and so Cedric welcome to the podcast happy new year oh
1: yeah happy new year thanks for having me um yeah well, thank you for being a a big supporter of us we we appreciate it well no worries um I I wanted to talk about secession because um because you know of um the of you know the the election last year 2020 in the US and then also the the election the Canadian election uh the, the year before um yeah. like um like in uh in Canada like after uh Justin Trudeau won a plurality um of seats in the House of, of Commons then um uh i i saw on social media like a lot of people from your province <laughs> um mm-hmm. alberta <laughs> where um we're agitating for secession and um there's um yeah. there and there's like i heard there's um uh there's a, a wild rose party or or something like there's like um there's there's it's like it was founded recently or or it came from like an alberta independence party Boy, well was, there, there's yeah
0: first of all cedric thank you for saying that we, yeah we do uh us albertans do want us to see a lot of us from you laurentian elites out there in ontario um but and yeah there there are uh there's a new i think they're re- reinvigorating the wild rose party here in alberta restarting it the original wild rose leader from the original wild rose party i think is is launching it uh there's also another federal party that we're going to be competing with on the stage called the maverick party pretty cool name um and their primary goal is to be basically like the party Quebecois in quebec which is kind of like a separatist party which is kind of a west first chauvinist party um type thing so yeah and you are right there there has been a, a huge um, increase in separation and secession from Canada out west here. Uh, the Wexit movement started as a result of it. Um, you know, I've spoken at a couple of conferences. And in fact, I've been it's interesting because we've had some secessionists in the States uh, reach out to us. I spoke at a via Zoom to a, a California group, uh, CalExit, and they are very different than um the albertan exit movement politically and that they're more left-leaning and they their primary concern was how donald trump was imposing these mandates like uh, uh, closed borders and removing regulations around the environment and different things like that so it was interesting to see that these people had me a a libertarian who probably doesn't agree with many other policies um Speaking at uh, at their conference, but their primary role was look, let's secede, let's go our separate ways. There's no, you know, we we have wildly different uh, viewpoints uh, here, and why not instead of continually fighting and squabbling in this marriage, why don't we just peacefully go our separate ways
1: and and be friends from afar, kind of thing. So yeah. All right, because um, I. Um, I, I read the um, the Buffalo Declaration from like that was like from last, last year, and mm. it, it talked about how um, the the land of um, Alberta and Saskatchewan used to be uh, together. Well, used used to be um, not politically divided, and it was called Buffalo. But um, when um, when that land entered Canadian Confederation, um, uh, it was it was split into two. And um, well, uh, the the Buffalo Declaration doesn't <laughs> mention Wilfrid Laurier, but he was um, the prime minister at the time, and um, uh, it said like the declaration had said that this weakens their uh, the power of that area, but um, uh, th- does it really? Because um, it get if you um, with two pro- two provinces, that's technically like more senators in in the in Ottawa right or am I thinking about it wrong is it does it really make you weaker when you're when Alberta and Saskatchewan are divided well
0: I I don't it does it make it I mean I suppose um, if we were one province let's say uh, if Alberta and Saskatchewan were a province called Buffalo we might have fewer senators or we might have little bit. I I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. And I, I, you know, I don't know what the best way to run a centralized government is. I mean, I, I'm, I'm an anarchist, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think government has the right to exist. I think it's a criminal gang, and um, of thugs, and it, it creates disorder and chaos, and, uh, and, and ruins people's lives. Um, you know, I, I like, Murray Rothbard's quote Murray Rothbard said once one concedes that a single world government is not necessary then where does one logically stop at the permissibility of separate states if Canada and the United States can be separate nations without being denounced as in an impermissible state of anarchy why may not the South secede from the United States New York State from the Union New York City from the state why not Manhattan secede each neighborhood, each block, each house, each person. Um, where, why can't you stop, uh, you know? And so to me, secession uh, and, and the, is the idea of decentralizing authority, getting it closer to the individual. That's why I uh, support secession. You know, I'd rather have seven billion nations than 200 or whatever. I don't know why 200 or 270 or whatever it is, is the right number of nation states. I don't know who determined that Canada, this landmass up to this, uh, you know, parallel is the, is Canada, is Canada, and this is the United States, and you're part of Canada, and you're part of the United States. Who made me part of this nation? It's it's a bunch of thugs uh, that want to rule us. They're, they're uh, cattle farms, are ta- you know, we're essentially tax livestock, and you know, uh, the tax livestock tax farmers have have kind of put their fence on the uh you know the 49th parallel or whatever that's where the 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 warring group of tax farmers has agreed to kind of peacefully settle their their dispute i guess um and and that's what makes a nation and then what makes alberta who determined where the borders were and who all is an albertan and who is isn't? who are those people because i didn't get a say in that so why do i you know um, why, why would I respect that, uh, the, that imposition? Uh, and so, you know, but I'm also a realist. I understand, um, you know, we're never going to have a, a, a situation where humans aren't trying to rule each other. And so we're probably mostly always going to end up with, uh, states with governments that, where we have, you know, uh, rulers, uh, imposing their will on us, um, and so, you know, but I, I do think that the closer we can get to that individual, the better off it's going to be. The more peaceful the world's going to be. The less power these imperialist uh, governments are going to have. So I I'm all for secession for that reason.
1: Oh, all right. Because um, I I also wanted to like talk about um how um a little bit about how Canada was formed because, um, um, in the, like, there were two, like, big conventions in the 1860s, the 1864 Quebec Convention and then, uh, uh, the 1867 Charlottetown Convention in which, um, the different colonies were, were, um, were talking (laughs) about, uh, creating a federation, um, and, um, yeah it was like their their talk um they talked a lot about like some some people wanted more wanted to wanted the like the colonies to have more power while uh other people wanted like uh the federation or um the the central authority to to be more powerful because they were looking at uh, the united states and you know in the eighteen sixties they had a war and they were and they wanted um the the people who wanted strong a strong central authority um, which included John a MacDonald uh they they wanted a strong central authority um so that they were they would have a strong united British front against the Americans and uh, uh and because if you there, there were um there were five I think there were five colonies at the time or four depending on how you want to look at it there, there was um New Brunswick Nova Scotia PEI and then the united province of canada which was um uh Ontario and Quebec um they were united under one legislature because um uh this was due to the act of 1841 in uh, which united ontario which was, was which was called Upper Canada and Quebec, which was called Lower Canada, into to one legislature where um, both both of both sides have an equal number of seats. And uh, actually, uh, Wilfred Laurier, he uh, uh, what well, well, but during this time, like he was in his twenties, and he uh, he opposed <laughs> this uh, this Confederation because he thought that uh Quebec would lose its identity and uh well there's uh and well even today like some people uh, in Quebec they they want the uh, secession and they they've had uh Quebec's had two referendums and um uh they n- neither of them pass which is why Quebec is still in confederation but um uh I guess it's it's better like in Canada than in the United States because in the United States uh, when you, when people think of secession, they they automatically think of of like their civil war and how they, they think that um, some people think that secession automatically leads to a war but but uh, it doesn't in, and like like in when they were having their referendums, the the central government of Canada, Oops. The federal government wasn't.
0: Sorry, Cedric, your your uh, connection is uh, oh, getting sketchy like there. I, um, I missed that. I missed that last thirty seconds or so. Uh, you 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 dropped there for about thirty seconds. I think you're, you're looking better now. So try that again. Oh no. There you
1: are. Uh. Okay. Oh, where where did you lose me?
0: Uh, I, I can't remember. You were talking about. Uh, I, I, I can't remember what you're talking about. To be honest.
1: All right, because um, all right. I'll I'll say I'll start from like, like you know how in Amer- in America, when when people use the word secession, they they immediately yeah. think of the Civil War, right. and and uh they think that um that there's gonna that. They they immediately think that war is inevitable if if uh, if a state threatens secession. Yeah. But uh, at least in Canada that doesn't happen because like right. during during like when, during those two referendums in Quebec, uh, the nobody was threatening Quebec with with uh, invasion. They like the 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 people in Quebec um they, they I think they some of them feel like there's there's just too much power in Ottawa yeah and uh
0: yeah and, there, and they, there's been plenty of historical uh instances of peaceful secession right I mean uh, like the cold war ended without a shot being fired and and this is something that conservatives need to crow about because it was uh, it, it was um you know uh it was under conservative kind of foreign policy where there was they were non-interventionists at the time and they were just they weren't going to nuke people and they were all about diplomacy and you know they that <laughs> the ussr crumbled under its own weight and uh and you know a bunch of countries or nations formed um out of that former soviet bloc uh i'm sure there was conflict and skirmishes there as people kind of vied but it wasn't an all-out civil war um type situation so conservatives actually need to tell this story more because you know leftist this mainstream media is never going to talk about uh about that but uh th- there's an instance of secession yugoslavia i believe is another one and you know there, there's all sorts of cases of peaceful secession oh
1: yeah um i think i've told you this before but um in 1991 uh there is um there is this american history professor his name is eric Foner. He's he's a Marxist and um, he uh, he wrote in the Nation magazine uh, uh, pleading to Gorbachev uh, not not to let um, the 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 different Soviet republics secede and um, that uh, they they should uh, copy Abraham Lincoln because uh, uh, right. that's that's what he did he uh, he used force to to keep them to keep the, the states from leaving the union.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what the Civil War. You know, most people don't realize they they they're told the propaganda that uh, the, the Civil War was fought over slavery. Um, and in fact, it was. You know, Abraham Lincoln was very clear. It was it was about preserving the Union. They didn't. He didn't want the South to secede. And um, uh, you know, and it, later on, it became yeah, you know, uh, about slavery. And you know, pro- war propaganda after the fact is quite often used to kind of rewrite history or whitewash it so that so that um, some evil things don't look so evil and look actually virtuous and noble after the fact Um, but yeah you know in Canada we have in theory at least a peaceful mechanism to secede. right it's called the clarity act and uh, under the clarity act you know if you have um, over 50 percent like a clear majority of the people uh, vote in a referendum with a clear question about separation that uh, then uh, a province may secede. Now, there's some caveats to it, which, you know, the devil's in the details, right? It's in the fine print and, you know, it talks about uh, special interests or, or uh, people with an interest in the matter, other parties, uh, might voice their concerns. And so you can imagine First Nations or other provinces that uh, you know, want a clear trade route uh, across Canada or this or that might throw up some blocks. So, I mean, it sounds like fairly simple and straightforward in the Clarity Act, but, but the reality of this happening, I think, are not good, right? I mean, first of all, a majority of Albertans do not want to secede. And um, we, and even if they did, we don't have a government that would be willing to put forward that question uh, of referendum. If you know any any provincial government that took power, that might be willing to do that, would feel quite a bit of pressure and be bribed by uh, by powerful interests to not put that question forward. And then you'd have to get everyone on board, and there'd be a propaganda war um and you know I, I think it's highly unlikely that we would ever secede via the clarity act you know i think a, a more likely route for secession um would be canada collapses under its own weight like the soviet union and um we just cannot uh, y- you know we can no longer rely on the the federal government uh to be able to hold the union together they they just start they become too weak because they they just can't extract any more money out of us. They they've basically the host has killed the organism and Canada's dead and you know we rebuild um, in in our own separate kind of jurisdictions or areas and um, and you know secede that way. But uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? What what? How do you think secession could happen? How how could Albertans who want to secede make this happen?
1: Um. It'd be, um, I, I don't know. I think, um, it was it's, it's hard to say because, um, it's, uh, when, uh, as you said, like a lot of people don't want to succeed in Alberta and, but, um, it, it might be like geographical, like as in maybe certain, certain areas of, of, um, Alberta might want to succeed, but like, but, uh that that still be hard to do just uh, like like legally speaking um mm-hmm. uh because, b- because um like is like is the prov- is the province going to like even allow all these people to like to all all those uh to like if if they're like if there's a region that wants to secede like is the province going to even allow them to secede because um but um i don't know it, it, it would yeah. It, I Like, I not. I'm not. I don't live in Alberta, but I'm, I'm sure, yeah, you. It, it is really hard from, it well, looks really and, hard from your.
0: And I mean, let's look at uh, another case here. Uh, I remember in the, I think it was in the 90s, might have been the 80s, uh, when the, I, I remember on the news, the Oka standoff, right? And this had all to do with First Nation sovereignty, when they were trying to claim, kick a developer off their, what they considered their land, uh, when they were trying to develop a golf course or something. And the province moved in to, you know, enforce the, this developer's, um, you know, claim to, to build this golf course. And they put up a blockade with armed uh, warriors and basically a standoff ensued. I think, I'm trying to remember, I think someone was killed uh, in the standoff, uh, but it was relatively peaceful. Other than that, it wasn't like the province pulled and, and eventually... Um, you know, the, I think it was the Kanawaki Reserve or, or something like that. They they basically enforced their sovereignty just by having a few guys with guns saying, "Thou shalt not cross," and we're willing to die for this, and we're willing to pick up arms and like you're gonna have to kill us to to make this happen. And the province and the our you know and the feds were weren't willing to kill them to <laughs> to do it. So now they actually have it's almost, they they basically have their own nation in a sense. You know, I, I uh, was watching a documentary where I think something like 80% of the world's gambling servers are located on the Kahnawakee Reserve. And that's because Canadian jurisdiction cannot reach them. They have their own, own government, essentially, uh, that doesn't answer to the feds. And, th- you know, the feds aren't going to screw with them. All because a few guys with guns stood on the borders and said, thou shall not pass, you're going to have to kill us uh, to take our land or whatever. So there's another pathway, you know, I'm thinking too of, um, you know, at, at Amon, or the Bundy standoff in, in uh, the US where the Bureau of Land Management wanted to uh, take this, uh, you know, the federal government claimed this land to be theirs, but the Bundys had been farming it or ranching it or grazing their cattle on it for generations. And so they felt their claim was stronger and um, you know, they just got a bunch of their buddies with guns. The standoff ensued. Uh, The federal government didn't want to have uh, blood on its hands. They didn't want to have that PR nightmare. And so they backed off and not a shot was fired. So there's another potential uh, pathway to secession there. And I guess that's essentially how Canada is separate from the U.S. in a sense, a bunch of guys with guns, uh, you know, it, it dissuaded them. And that's probably how all nations really are formed. You know, that, that's how these boundaries we call borders are drawn. It's like, okay, um, we'll, we'll, for the sake of not spilling any more blood or, or like not ha- having a bloodbath, we'll just draw a line in the sand here and that's your side and this is our side and let's just respect that and go our separate ways. Um so that maybe that's a you know that would be a pathway forward if uh, push really came to shove at the end of the day. but you know, part of the problem here in Canada is that we we have you know we're even more intrinsically linked to you Laurentian elites than we would be if we were under a us system right because we have um, we have equalization payments and so Albertan taxpayers you know send their income tax to Ottawa uh, by threat of uh, of getting shot if we don't uh, if we resist yeah. right and and then that money gets distributed to the have not provinces and they're usually the socialist tell-whole provinces that um, are in fiscal dire straits because they have so many regulations and so much re- redistribution going on that their provinces are suffering and um and and you know and then and, and then these same provinces uh refuse to allow our our product to get to market by blockading our pipelines and doing different things like that. So, you know, if, if anyone, <laughs> so I, I would think that, um, that, you know, under the current system of confederation that we have, the weak constitution that we have, the, the, uh, you know, right in our constitution, I believe is, the, is the, uh, the wording that, that allows for, for, um, uh equalization payments to take place in fact i think it's even mandated in there maybe um i can't remember now but uh our, our constitution is terrible and you know we don't have a mechanism to a really good mechanism to secede.
1: uh yeah i'm not sure w- which part of it like I, I i know like i know it's 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 been um equalization has been um <laughs> in uh canadian confederation since 1957 when Louis saint laurent um was uh was a uh, prime minister and uh but like i'm not sure which part of the constitution because yeah the because part of yeah, the canadian constitution is like partly unwritten like there's a bunch of different stuff in it not just like the founding documents uh the british north america act there's there's a bunch of different stuff um
0: yeah uh, here we go it's section uh 36 two. So 36.2 uh, is basically a, a constitutional requirement whereby less prover- prosperous prov- provincial governments are given funds to provide their residents with public services that are reasonably compar- comparable to those in other provinces. So it's, it's not exactly equalization, but it's a requirement that the federal government help out the have not provinces but how is the federal government going to help out the have not provinces other than by uh taking money from you know from the income tax uh where albertans are a huge contributor and then uh giving that have not province more money than it would give alberta for example i
1: see um but uh, yeah, yeah, like like you said, like equalization, which is it's not in the United States because um, United States each each state is 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 equal, like um while um Canada I I feel like yeah the the provinces aren't aren't equal, have don't come into Confederation equally if like I, I'm not a lawyer but but that that's how it seems, like um uh like i think like manitoba or what well, one of the one of the western provinces i remember like came into being like through like a statute and um and there yeah there and it puts certain certain restrictions on that province right uh, and yeah and then, you, uh, and then
0: we have territories right and then we have first nations and we have all these different kind of um, different uh entities with different stature, let's say, in confederation. Um, you're right, where they're not equal players. But I guess that's kind of true in the states, too. with You know, they have the Electoral College, where, um, you know, the so-called flyover states wield a bit more power per capita than, uh, say, California or New York, because um, they want to, they don't want, uh, basically, the, the high-density population cities to have uh, all the say in in federal policy there, which I guess makes some sense, but it, you know the 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 answer to that would be just to make the, the, to to basically strangle the federal government to you know what we we might call a minarchist state where all they do is provide you know maybe a supreme court uh, and um, and a bit of policing uh, across jurisdictional lines and then um, a military or something. Uh, to protect the borders and and protect from invasion and nothing more like not all this education stuff and environment stuff and all the other stuff that gets people worked up where uh, the federal government imposes you know uh, let's say pro-choice on everyone or pro-life or this or that you know once they start meddling more than just the basics of we're going to protect the borders and provide some policing and that's it um you know let let each state develop their own set of laws and rules and let people vote by walking with their feet to whichever state uh suits their needs
1: they had that i
0: don't think secession would be such a big uh issue right now if we had that in canada let's say secession wouldn't be such a big issue right if we like i've always said we could have we could have national unity if the government was a limited libertarian government if all it did was um you know police military and courts um and then allow the provinces to write their own laws have their do their own stuff with health care and, and roads and everything else um we wouldn't have all this squabbling we like federal elections would be inconsequential like i wouldn't care who my member of parliament was or who the prime minister was it could be a goddamn socialist for all i care he, his power would be limited like he wouldn't be able to do anything uh and and it wouldn't Im- impact my daily life at all but now it's everything the federal government does impacts everyone's life so it's like a battle of all against all and, you know and and right now under covid um w- w- this is we're seeing the stark divide right we're seeing the stark divide between people who worship the cult uh, at the altar of the state and um, want mandates and imp- imposition of force uh, on everything, and then those who are against all that, you know, and um, and uh, these are obviously two very different types of people who ought to be able to go their separate ways in peace. But now they're being forced together in this um, in, in this imposition of of statism of, of he- big government that forces us together and forces my interests to step all over your interests, and your interests to step all over my interest there's going to be a winner there's going to be a loser one of you is getting shot the other one's going to be holding the gun and it puts pits us against each other in a war of all against all I, i'm thinking of that scene in gatineau quebec where the poli- neighbors call the police on the on their neighbors who are having a, a party uh with a few people and a fight breaks out and the police arrest. and it's just i mean this is what our society is and i have to think that if, if it, it, we have to go our separate ways because there's, there's some people that want big government. And then there's those of us who want little or no government at all. And how the hell are are we going to get along? Um, we, we can't, we won't tolerate it for much longer. Those of us who, who um, demand freedom and liberty or, or death. Um, and, you know, at a certain point, we're going to be willing to die uh, to, to, to stop the erosion of our freedoms. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, if we um, in during the American Revolution, um, the, the the Americans drafted the the Articles of Confederation, which were their their first um, constitution, and it was it was back then. It was yeah, it was a a, re- a much smaller government because um, <laughs> there was actually no executive. Um, and uh, uh, so yeah, nope. There was no president during this time. From like oh, okay, they drafted they drafted the articles in 1777, and then it was they were fully ratified in 81. And then um and but then their their new constitution and well their current one was uh was ratified in in 1789. But uh, during this time, during when they had the Articles of Confederation, um like uh the, the federal government was was really small because um uh, they they had one uh chamber and i think like each state got um got the same number of members i think it, it was like each state got 3 members and um and people people make this analogy of like how how all this all the states chose to secede from the articles of confederation to the constitution and so why couldn't, why couldn't the Southern states secede from, from the, the current constitution to, to make their own uh, right. confederation? Like that's, that's, uh, that's an argument I've heard.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it should be everyone's right to secede. Um, you know, uh, what are we slaves? Well, don't answer that because the answer is probably yes. Um, if you can't secede, you're a slave. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Cedric, thanks for coming on. Um, I, I, is there anything else you wanted to add? Any points that, uh, that we missed before we wrap up? Uh,
1: oh, okay. I, I just want to like bring one more point. Um, sure. I was, I was, uh, I read like a couple years ago, this, this article, uh, by Ludwig von Mises, and he was talking about how he his his view of Europe. Um he wanted he wanted like at least a thousand different states in Europe because um how um how Europe was and is like how each state is was defined was was often by language. But um so you would have like um uh my minorities getting oppressed because their <laughs> their um their their language wouldn't be taught in like public schools. So Mises's um, I- ideal, like view of of Europe, was that like there'd be at least a thousand states, uh, and like so that there wouldn't be tyranny of of like of of linguistic minorities. And like, right. I mean, there's there's not a thousand states, and like right now e- either. And like, no, and like I'm sure some people in Europe they still feel like a little bit oppressed or maybe a lot um sure. because um because their their language is not like the official language yeah uh and even though like their ancestors were there for hundreds of years but yeah this was yeah this was like something that mises wrote like a hundred years ago
0: yeah and uh you know i think hoppe has said similar things too right i mean his vision is you know thousands of city states let's say um you know cities uh could be looked at maybe as um as private property, and and you could have someone who is the the owner of that private property of the infrastructure, uh, making rules in that city and and trying to attract uh, people by having the best set of rules and the best set of conditions that would uh, bring in capital development and and uh, fees and whatnot to join that city, um, and and you you would have essentially you know thousands of city states rather than uh, one big conglomerate that imposes the rules on all these different cities right and because you know here's the thing too you know one of the biggest political divides we have is between people who live not in a city like rural folk and people who live in the city and and they have much very different experiences of government and of other people you know in in the country we never saw the government you know, we, we had no use for it. We had to be self-reliant. We had to defend ourselves from from animals and burglars and, and trespassers. We had to provide for ourselves. Uh, we didn't have to worry about, you know, stepping on someone else's toe or bumping into someone or anything like that, right? Whereas in the city, you know, you're stacked on top of each other. You're bumping, hustling and bustling in, in these uh, public spaces. Uh, and there's got to be some rules in those public spaces, even I admit that, right? I mean, we can't have people pooping on the sidewalk, we can't have people littering everywhere, we, you know, even though it's on a public space that, you know, as a libertarian, I would say, the government does, doesn't justly own it, it's, it's, you know, but at the same time, it's not unowned either. It's, and, and the ideal set of circumstances is those streets and those, those public areas would be privately owned and the, the people, um, you know, so, so there's gotta be some rules in there managing uh, interaction and managing the, the, the I guess social environment so that uh, you know people are driving on the right side of the road and people are um, uh, pooping and littering and, and you know maybe swearing or walking around naked or whatever right You're going to want a set of rules in the Commons if you choose to live in that city and someone needs to make those rules. And so if you're an urbanite, you, you're like, yeah, we need rules. The government needs to impose rules, right? It, it makes sense to to someone who lives in the city that there's this upper authority that's making rules. So this is where I think the divide largely comes from. Those of us who grew up in the country and those who grew up in the city have very m- much different experiences uh, of life, and um and, and things make sense. And, and and this is why, to me, it's like, okay, uh, if we get rid of the like, obviously we can't have the federal government making rules. Um, as if they were a city owner for everyone across this entire huge landmass called uh, Canada. That is not working. That is destroying our nation. And the more rules you make and the more power you exert, the more you destroy it. So let's break it down. Let's let city folk, you know, choose the the set of rules they want to live in, vote with their feet and um, and then leave, um, you know, the rural folk to do their thing without any government and, Imposing rules and get you know have their social cohesion from community uh, barbecues and and you know community dances and different things like that uh, and churches and um you know and, and let's just go our separate ways.
1: Yeah, oh, I just want to ask you one more thing. Um, sure. So the the people like since I'm I'm not from Alberta, I wouldn't know this, but I'm guessing uh, people in Edmonton and Calgary they uh they're a lot different from like um, people who live in the rural areas then from yeah. your experience? For sure. I mean, in, in And I will say that um, Calgary and
0: Edmonton are two different cities as well. Uh-huh. Uh, in Edmont- Edmonton is very progressive, very left leaning. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why that is. I think uh, probably because we have the provincial government, ca- like Edmonton's the provincial capital. And so you've got a lot of government so you've kind of got a welfare mentality that's grown up there. And, um, and and then in Calgary, it's a very spread out city. Like I think it's one of the biggest cities geographically around. Like it's, it's spread out and it's, it's less dense than most cities. And most of the people that, that live in Calgary have, are there because of all the, the oil field offices. So these are people that come from the oil field, that come from rural areas, where that like when you're a kid growing up on a farm, you 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 either work on the farm and work to to take over from your dad, or you go out and work the rigs. And so, you know, the these the people in Calgary I find have a much more of a, a an attitude that a rural folks would have, whereas in Edmonton it's more of um it's a lot less of that. There's not the oil uh offices, it's um it's much more like uh service industry and what you would find in you know um they they just don't have that sensibility uh, about them it's more of a welfare city
1: oh okay uh, yeah, I, yeah i i like so since i've never been to either like but but i mean I, I being, that being said
0: i mean calgary has a very progressive mayor you know it's they've got a a, a gay muslim arab that is there Uh, who is very progressive that is their uh mayor right so uh, like it's it's still there to a large extent but you can notice a difference between edmonton and calgary like in edmonton you'll see socialist communist propaganda downtown on white ave uh regularly like uh yeah i went to the fringe festival which is like a kind of a carnival uh a street festival street performers and these socialists had a, a table set up where they were offering to explain, uh, uh, a, a cr- offer a critique of the, of the conservative party from, a, from a, a Marxian perspective. And they just openly, you know, walk around proud Congress. I, I doubt you would see much of that in Calgary, but in Calgary, they're very centrist and progressive um, in terms of the politics. But, but also like, even in Fort McMurray, I saw progressive, like all the, all the people on council were progressives from out east you know there were there are people that migrated to fort mcmurray for the economic op- opportunity and they kind of came from ontario and different things all these people make their way to town council and they are quite often most of them are progressives you know people that uh, from the liberal party and different things like that make their way onto town council because uh, who knows i mean I, I think that maybe the people the rest of the people will just there to work and make a living and are just aren't that interested in politics. So they don't, they don't look at, at politics as an attractive thing to get into. Whereas all these Laurentian elites that migrate to the city, uh, they they lust for power and, and control over other people. You know, let, let's, these, these Hicks need our, our patronage. They need our paternalism. They need us to use science to manage them properly. Cause look at these, uh people digging in the dirt drinking beer partying you know just they're they're, you know we they need to so you know i I think that generally speaking government attracts the worst kind of people um and you know even even the so-called conservatives in power like most hardworking conservative rural folk would never think about going into politics but the ones that do generally have some progressive sensibilities where, yeah, we need to have some power here and they're not afraid to exercise. I mean, Aaron O'Toole is a red Tory. I mean, you know, he's got the best chance of winning because of that probably. Uh, but there are none of these politicians, uh, Kenny included and in all these UCP politicians going on vacations while they lock the rest of us down. I mean, these are essentially, you know, they, they have a particular mindset of, we want to rule people but most people that you would want in those positions uh are are kind of like rural folk who just want to be left alone and they and those people have no desire to get involved in politics at all they have no desire to push back and so you know maybe maybe that's the answer maybe part of the answer is I I hear myself talking out loud is to get more people well people like me like i never had any ambition to get into politics I had to be drugged into this political uh realm kicking and screaming it took Someone four months of wearing me down and constantly arguing and debating me and, and and you know pleading with me before I said fine I'll I'll step into the political ring. Well, you know we need more people um, th- like me that don't want to get involved in politics at all to actually get involved in politics because they're, they're, those are the people that uh, you kind of want in those leadership positions uh, you, you don't want the people that have been hungry to rule over others for years and they've made all the steps and done all the uh, you know done everything they need to do to get themselves into a position where they can finally be a ruler over all of us because those are the people that are winning right now those are the people that are getting those spots we need uh, we need more more people uh, who have those kind of rural sensibilities that people just need to be left alone and I'm here just to stop the government from doing more stuff. You know, I'm not gonna do anything for you. In fact, I'm gonna roll back all this stuff. Um, You know, because people, you need to be responsible for your own governance. You need to be responsible for your own lives. Uh, You know, it's enough of this. But um, yeah, I guess. Uh,
1: Oh, I'll just make one last comment. Uh, You're you're reminding me of um, uh, in Friedrich Hayek's The Road to Serfdom. (laughs) There's a chapter called Why the Worst Get on Top. And so, uh, you you might want to look like I mean I, I like the the entire book, but but uh yeah that that chapter is I'm I'm being reminded of by you what why the worst get on top, I think it's chapter ten, yeah. I'm not I don't remember the exact number. I'll I'll,
0: I'll definitely check that out. Uh, Hayek's Road to Serfden. It, it's a great book. It's been years since I I've read it, but uh, yeah yeah I mean I, and look I've I've known this intellectually for for uh, a long time since reading that book and reading other libertarian material that tells you that but look i you know now that i'm in politics that i speak talk with these people that i'm close to them uh you know that i i navigate through municipal and provincial and federal politics and kind of network with people i see very clearly uh empirically with my own eyes listening to these people talk uh that yeah i mean the the that's who would get involved in politics is the very kind of people that hayek and libertarians have been saying for years would get involved because of the incentive structure right the incentive structure so all right cedric wall listen thank you this has been a great conversation uh thanks for being a a, a huge supporter of this podcast and to all you liberty nation liberty expert uh listeners out there uh if you want to do this become a rainmaker on subscribe star and uh we'll get you on the podcast and you can have a a shot to to chat with David or I or both of us um, and yeah I'm I'm, uh, I'm, David sends his uh, his regrets for not being here I think that it would have been fantastic to have David here although I think this podcast would have gone for two hours because uh, you know those objectivists and secession that's that's kind of like oil and water to them I sometimes get the impression that that an objectivist, that their best state of affairs would be a world government imposing liberty from on high or something like that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a decentralization guy. I, I want to decentralize government down to the individual. Um, and and this is why, you know, and, and by the way, this is where, like, to me, I think there's a kind of a distinction between minarchism and anarcho-capitalism. right? The, the idea that there ought to be a minimum state and that's the best state of affairs and the idea that we ought to do away with it altogether, and um, you know, if if you think that the nation of Canada is the right size, well, why shouldn't it be smaller, you know, or bigger, you know? And, and so, to me, like, there, there's really no distinction in my mind between a globalist and a nationalist. A, a nationalist is just a, a globalist on a slightly smaller scale. Um, you know, we ought to be concerned about the individual, and um, and so that's my, my goal. I think that's David's goal too, but I think, uh, you know, objectivists are a little bit confused about uh, uh, the nature of government and some of the things, but uh, we'll leave that for another time. I don't want to get into a debate with David when he's not even here. So Uh, anyway, thanks. Thanks Cedric. Thank you Liberty Expert Nation. And uh, until next time, uh, I'm Tim and that's been Cedric. Thank you.